You're listening to the podcast for all of the news, notes, and breakdowns for your Ohio State Buckeyes. This is Sons of the Shoe with Nick Wilson and Spencer German. Nick Wilson, Spencer German back again. It is time for the latest Sons of the Shoe episode. And as always, we appreciate your comments in the 92 Through the Fan YouTube section. We appreciate you following the show, Apple, Spotify, the free Odyssey app, 923thefan.com. And what a big show we have, Spencer, because not only do we have the big SEC, Big Ten, uh, it, joint advisory committee release that was released earlier this week. We've got Ryan Day is going to be speaking in Columbus uh, on Wednesday this week. Uh, no idea what he could be, you know, talking about or interested in talking about. And oh yeah, there's a little matter. Probably uh, his endorsement for president or something. Maybe I, mean, I don't know. Clearly, I mean, it is a, it is it is an election year. So he's always know. struck me as a third party guy. Right? Not <laughs> one to ride the the fence there, um, but. The biggest news was, uh, yeah, Bill O'Brien is uh, interested in the Boston College job, previously vacated by Jeff Halfley. Uh, We talked about Jeff going to the NFL as a coordinator and all the paranoia and the big talk that came from around there. And it's funny. Why he would leave matters to me. You know, um, one potential framing of this is his son has health issues, uh, his son's receiving care in the Boston area or or in the Massachusetts, you know, surrounding area of Boston, and that that could be a big impact there. Um, and this kind of reminds me of like the Bill Callahan thing. Bill Callahan left, from, you know, being the Browns' offensive line coach and and all, and run game coordinator, all that, to go to Tennessee to be with his his son, who just got hired as the head coach, Brian Callahan, and the Browns very smartly you know, formed this as we just couldn't, you know, we just couldn't get in the way of a man and his son. And that makes sense. What I will say is, at least with the Bill O'Brien thing, I think that is a incredible thing if it's true. I also know from making my own career moves, from talking about coaches with their own career moves, that it's never one thing. You know, like you might point to one thing, but it's always a cadre of things and so if it is about his son, I i mean, you can't really begrudge a man. But if it's also that Bill wants to be a head coach uh, and he'd rather be a head coach than an offensive coordinator, I will say I think that's incredibly short-sighted. But your initial reaction to, to the Bill O'Brien uh, hoopla about him potentially going and leaving Ohio State after, I believe, about three weeks on the job. The other thing I know is – I know you mentioned the son getting treatment, but he also has a son who's playing baseball at Tufts. So uh, obviously that being a a Massachusetts school, he'd be closer to his son. So I I do think just just from my perspective, like everything that we've seen and heard, this feels like a very – and again, he hasn't officially gotten the job. I know Pete Thamel reported um, on Monday that that, that basically – they're doing their due diligence and, and that, you know, they're not just going to, they're not just going to hire Bill O'Brien. They're going through an interview process and all these different things. Yeah. Teams, by the way, teams leak that to reporters. So they don't look like a holes for really looking at one head coach. Yeah. So (laughs) I, 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 all due respect to Pete Thamel, but every time it's like when uh, teams go, we're going to have an exhaustive, thorough, 
a search for our next head coach and they interview like three people. It's like, okay, yeah. you're exhaustive <laughs> and everybody else's exhaustive are two different things, but I digress. Well, yeah. And, and, to, and you're, you're, that's fair. And to your, to my point though, like it was more so just about the idea that, you know, family reports that they're, they're not, they haven't officially hired him, but it sounds like it's trending that direction. There's other reports that he's likely going to be the, he's the top candidate. He's probably going to end up getting the job and, and that's all fine and good. Um, I, like, I don't know. I, I, from my perspective, just with, you mentioned the treatments in Boston. He's from that area. He's obviously spent a, a large portion of his career in that area working with the Patriots. So it's a place he's familiar with. This is kind of an unexpected development in the college coaching ranks. Nobody expected Halfley to, to leave and go to the NFL. So the job opens up. It gives him an opportunity here. Um, and if he's going to take it and it's a lot of family-driven things, then I think that's probably a reasonable reason to take a job. I think you're right. There's probably more motivations behind it than just that. I'm sure on some level he does like the idea of being the head coach, being the general of all of, of all things and having all the power. Like we talked about last episode, power matters to these guys. So he gets and, a chance. And to power try. matters to Bill. Bill has, yeah. Bill has shown that, in especially in Houston when he was in the NFL, power matters to Bill. Yeah. So it's an opportunity to do that. It's an opportunity to, to be a head coach somewhere. Um, and a lot of, you know, guys are going to pass those opportunities up. Now I, I think what's like the next level of this is, okay, if you go to Boston college, are you going to be, do you have the resources there to be successful? I don't think it matters as much because for Bill, like he's, he has obviously built up a reputation as is of being one of the best, the, the best offensive minds in football over the course of his career, whether it's the NFL or whether it's college. So I think if he goes there and he has just even marginal success, I mean, the guy got when, – when he left Houston, I think people thought at some point he'd get another head coaching gig potentially. I understand, like, it didn't work out there. You talk about power. He probably had a little bit too much power, and that seems to be the thing that burns a lot of these coaches that go – that make the leap from, you know, position coach or offensive coordinator, assistant coach in the NFL to then they go to college maybe and try their hand at, at things – and then they go back to the NFL. Like sometimes they want too much power. Like they're like, oh, I, I want control over everything because that's what I was doing in college. Again, that word is is, is kind of the buzzword here of this conversation. Um, and it kind of burned him in Houston. Like he got himself in trouble because he he oversaw the personnel and that wasn't really his cup of tea. So I I like I think people thought he might get another head coaching job despite the fact that he kind of botched that situation. Um, but as it turned out, he's kind of just bounced around being an offense coordinator again. So I, I think that's going to stand no matter what. Like, I don't think what he does at, at Boston College, you know, discourages him from being a a an offensive coordinator again at a big time program or back in the NFL again. So I think he probably recognizes that. And I think he's probably like, hey, this is an opportunity to try something. And if I do have success, maybe I can parlay this into being a head coach again, which would obviously be, I think, the end goal for him. He He had success um at in houston and i'm sure he wants to get back to trying to do that again you know the only thing i would say is um this could be bill's last chance to be a head coach i don't think it'll be his last chance to coach in general i you know and to what you said about he'll always have a chance to be an offensive coordinator somewhere that that does matter but it feels like we've got the two strikes policy for bill uh, one was his time in houston which honestly i think he's a little underrated as a head coach yeah but but teams have shown with how they've treated other um, Belichickian candidates, including Belichick himself, they don't want Machiavellian candidates. I mean, that's yeah. why Belichick isn't the coach of Atlanta right now 
is people in that organization rightly saw the writing on the wall. If Bill Belichick comes in, everybody's getting fired because Bill wants it his way and he wants his people and he wants the power and he wants the secrecy of, of that whole thing. So I do think Bill's Bill O'Brien, that is, is a little underrated and he can always be a, a coordinator, but this could be your last chance to be a head coach. And let's all be honest. The Boston College job is a bad job. When, when we start racking jobs in the ACC, which is at best the third best conference for football, if not now the fourth with you know the Big 12 having a resurgence, thank God that the Pac-12 doesn't really exist anymore because there were years where you could make the case they were the fifth best conference. So in anywhere from the fourth to fifth best conference for football, Boston College is a bottom five ACC job. So your path there, and Jeff Halfley found this out, your path there is you got to win 30 games of your first three years or 20 games of your first two years to get out. Because if you get stuck in Boston college, it becomes this black hole of a job. And I think that was part of why Jeff Halfley left to go back to the NFL. It's never been harder to be a coach in that specific job. And I think he saw the writing on the wall after a couple of 500 years. So I guess my point is and listen, if it's about family, I really want to make it clear. If it's about family. I'm I'm like Vin Diesel, all right? I totally get it. Like I'll build I'll, I'll build 10 shitty movies about um about family just like Vin Diesel will. But when it comes to if this is about being a head coach again, this is where there's a force from the trees perspective that needs to be had. In a year, if Michigan, if you beat Michigan, if you win a national championship or you're in the national championship game, Bill O'Brien likely can have his say of all but about 10 to 12 jobs in college football. And that means there's going to be about 30 jobs potentially in front of him that are better than Boston College. So there's a part of me that there is a part of me that like Bill O'Brien right now is the underdog, like his path to being the kind of coach he was on when he was in Houston in the NFL. It's pretty slight. Like, I mean, it's he needs he needs a lot of help. So he's become an underdog. And what he's doing is taking potentially the first job available. And if that's for career reasons, it's a it's a bad decision. And I think he could win at Boston College. It's not like, listen, he won at Penn State after the Paterno yeah. fiasco. He won. You look at the first couple of years in Houston. In the well, NFL, it, was, it wasn't so much the Paterno fiasco as much as it was the Jerry Sandusky fiasco. But yes, obviously. I, yeah. But with that being said, like he won <laughs> the first few years. Uh, not to gloss over that, but he did win. Like, <laughs> look at the first few years in the NFL. He was in the playoffs with Tyler Yates and Brandon Whedon as his quarterback yeah. before he got to Sean. So I think he's a good coach. But I, I just believe in, you know, I think everybody in the world has taken a job because it's a job that's better than the one you might have right now. Instead of realizing if you're a little more patient, you might be able to get a far better job yeah. than the one you have right now. Well, I think the math on that makes a lot of sense. It, going back to what I said, I, I think Bill O'Brien almost has like a lifetime. I, I say lifetime, but you know, a career long ticket to anybody who needs an offensive coordinator. They're going to, they can count on Bill O'Brien. Like he can come in and he can get results for your, for your team, whether it's in college, whether it's in the NFL, whatever it might be. So I, I like, maybe this is him looking and saying, look, on top of the family stuff, which I do think plays a role here, um, maybe this is him looking and saying, hey, if I go to Boston College and I have success, that might be my path back to – because, listen, like, 
how many times have we talked about the the number of coaches? Steve Sarkeesian comes to mind, right? He he revived his career, and he's now the coach of Texas, sitting pretty, rebuilding that program, right? Where like, did he the, revive his career at? Well, that's what I'm, in at Bama. That's that's as, what I'm saying. As an OC, right? And that, that's, that's, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, and that's what I'm saying. Like if Bill went to Bama, and the best he got after that was okay. I'm just going back to join my other friend, Bill Belichick, in the NFL. And I'm not saying that's a bad gig. I'm just saying like. He that didn't parlay into him getting another head coaching job. Maybe he's kind of reading the tea leaves, like, okay, that didn't help me revive my head coaching per, uh, career. So maybe this is the thing that allows me to potentially revive it is if I go have some marginal level of success at Boston College. Because no matter what, he can always fall back on somebody will hire me to be an OC in two, three years. If this doesn't work out, I'll be right back in this chair. So I, I think that's probably a fair way to look at it. Um, and yeah, I, I, I'm obviously we'll get into a discussion here about where Ohio state goes from here. I think the other thing here, and I, maybe this is a good point to segue into this, this, this the Dennis Dodd tweet that we yes, wanted to get to. Thank you, God. Thank okay. you. Thank I, you. Cause I thought you were going to move somewhere else. And I was no, like, we no, got to no, no. talk about no, no, what no. might be I'm, the dumbest narrative out of this. Job yes, I'm going to, well, I saw, I'm going to throw this up real quick. So th- this, in, in all due respect, cause I think, I think Dennis Dodd does a great job covering yep. college football. He, he's, he's one of the better reporters in, in the sport. But I thought this tweet the other day where he's talking about Bill O'Brien pursuing the BC job was absolutely asinine. The idea that he's looking ahead and saying, huh, you know, if we don't beat Michigan this year, I'm going to be looking for a job again. Uh, Maybe I should go to Boston College because there's better job security there. What the hell world is Dennis Dodd living in that he thinks there's great job security at Boston? I mean, on some level there might be because there's a little, there's less pressure at, at Boston College. So if you even win like six, if you make a bowl game at Boston College, you're probably set for the next like three, three years at least before they start thinking about firing you. Um, I mean, Jeff Halfley had had marginal success and he wasn't even, he was coming back next year. So I understand what he's saying, I guess, at face value. But the idea that somebody like Bill O'Brien who has played or has coached rather some of the highest stakes programs and teams in the history of football is going into a job and he's sitting there worried about, hmm, you know, that Michigan game is a big deal to these people. If we don't win that game, I might be looking for a job next year. Like he was just looking for a job. What does he care if he's going to be looking for a job in a year? He's kind of used to that. That comes with the, the, the territory of being a coach at the college level in the NFL like this guy coached at Bama at, at Bama. It basically became win a national championship or bust for anybody, but Nick Saban. Cause he had won enough. Um, he coached in the NFL under Bill Belichick and the Patriots, which that team went to super bowls every year. As so many people, by the way, astutely pointed out, he never even won a championship at either of those places, despite coach, coaching under two of the greatest coaches to ever do it. So I don't understand why that would be his mindset. Like why take any job? If you're just going to live in your fears of like, ah, I might get fired after this year. Like that's not how any of these guys think they're all a little bit crazy. They're all willing to take chances and take risks. And I think it is a risk for Bill O'Brien to go to, to, to Boston college and try to have success there. But if he thinks that's a, maybe a path back to being a head coach in the NFL, then more power to him. He's going to try to do it. But that's my him going to Boston college is more about him being like, you know what? I think I'm good enough to maybe do enough here to, to get another NFL head coaching job or be a head coach somewhere else that I'm going to give it a try. It's more about him not living in his fears, but apparently Dennis Dodd thinks he's living in his fears about losing to Michigan. Are we serious? I just like that Dennis Dodd is treating one of the most 
cushiest jobs in America, offensive uh, play caller and offensive coordinator at Ohio State, as if you've got 20 in blackjack and you're tempted to to call hit. Like, no, 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 no. The the Boston College job is the kind of job where, all right, well, now you you got a five and a two. You're trying to get to 21 and you hit like a 10. Now you're at 17. Now you're in no man's land. Right. Like that, that could be the Boston college job next year. You go out and you have a three win season at Boston college. And that's how you go from, Oh, job security to will Bill O'Brien make it to three oh year, three years. So like the idea that Ohio state is 20 and you're looking for 21. Um, no, you know why? Because one, the odds of losing to Michigan next year are pretty low considering their retooling and you've got a team that's returning all its production. You have a team right now that really is starting to look like there's one potential weakness, and it's the O-line, and that could still hypothetically get better with player development, so we we can't just assume it's going to be crap. And then two, like, this is, like, you're in the perfect situation. You drew 11, right? You drew 11 at Ohio State, so you can get a 10, and you hit blackjack, and you might get uh, that Texas job that Sarkeesian got. You can hit a nine. Oh, no. Now I got to go be the head coach at, uh, geez, I don't know, Arkansas. I wouldn't do that. Bielema didn't work out there. Like, the point is, there are so many more positive options in front of you versus the negative options. And and I think it's, I think it's convenient framing that Dennis is looking at it from a one-year prism and saying, well, if the worst-case scenario happens at Ohio State, which isn't likely to happen. Like it's just, it's a little disingenuous and it's a little bit of that. We're going to go ahead and and make this look like a better situation. Boston college is an abhorrent job and bill can do better. Now I do want to get into Ohio state's uh, path forward. We also have to get into uh, the Ryan day press conference, but first a quick word from our sponsors. So, Spencer, to add to all the Bill O'Brien, will he leave for Boston College, won't he? And I will say, I don't think it's fait accompli. I think it's very, very likely, but I don't think it's fait accompli. Also, by the way, if he does leave, Ohio State fans, at least the ones that I saw, should be thrilled. Because all I saw when he got hired was, oh, this is a terrible decision. Why would you do this? So if I see any fans... Other than Radu, Radu, you, you, I know you comment a lot on the show. We appreciate your comments as always. Follow Sons of the Shoe. It's a new show. Now you the fan YouTube channel, wherever you get your, your podcast, specifically Apple, iTunes would be great. Um, anyway, or Odyssey, or the Odyssey app. I should throw that one in there as well for the, it's free. the for the powers that be. Um, but no, Radu, he's in the lane of it was a good hire with, with me, I think with you as well, Nick. But there were tons of people on Twitter who were just, re- and, and I know it's Twitter, so I shouldn't read too much into it, but there were so many Ohio State fans ready to just trash the Bill O'Brien hire when it happened. So I don't want to see those same people now like, oh my gosh, Ryan, this is Ryan Day. He drove another person away. He sucks. Like this better not be like sky is falling moment for you because none of you really wanted this in the first place. I will say though, I did get a kick out of some of the tweets yesterday. There was a lot uh, on, on Monday, I should say. There was a lot of, um, uh, oh, Bill O'Brien's tenure at Ohio State. The offense never threw an interception. They never lost a game. They never lost to Michigan. I was like, that's good. 
That's good. Bill O'Brien's going to go down as a legend at Ohio State. <laughs> I mean, I think the biggest impact, just before we get to the Ryan Day stuff and candidates, is the, the biggest question, I think, is does Julian Sand follow him? Yeah. Because, like, in terms of, well, are you going to be able to find a good candidate? It's Ohio State. I think, you know, now it becomes, are you going to choose the right candidate? Which was the initial conversation with Bill O'Brien, as you mentioned. But, I mean, I think, uh, listen, Bill O'Brien leaving, I'll be bummed because I thought it was a good hire. But my opinion on him leaving is going to be directly correlated to who they replace him with and what they value in replacing him. But I really think the number one thing is, does Sayan stay in Columbus or does he head to Boston College? Because that has that has long-term ramifications. I really like the idea that this year is Will Howard's year in, in Columbus, and then next year you set it up for the quarterback battle between Sayan and Aaron Nolan because I like having options. I think that's how a guy like C.J. Stroud became the best quarterback in the room. And I think that's how, you know, like when when – when you only have one guy and it's Aaron Nolan versus Lincoln Keenholz, whom I love, swagger, all that, South Dakota, what up? But like, there is a part of me that goes, that's more of a, we're just going to give this kid the job and he's got to not screw it up. And I'm less comfortable with that. So the, the second yeah. thing I do think is the biggest domino to yeah. fall in all of he, he had a relationship with Bill O'Brien. Now, what's interesting is he had that relationship with Bill O'Brien. And I guess, I mean, there was no way for him to follow Bill O'Brien the first time because Bill Brown went to New England. But obviously Tommy Reese was the, the OC this past year at Bama. So he still ended up going to Bama despite the fact that Bill O'Brien left. So you wonder if that means it's more of like, a, hey, yeah, you know, I'm, 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 I'm still happy at Ohio State. I'm good with this decision. I don't need to be with Bill O'Brien. It was just kind of a bonus. Or if he – because he's staying in the college ranks this time around that he could follow him there, which that – I mean, if that happens – you know, I, I don't want to say all bets are off. I don't know if it makes Boston College like that much crazily better. But we talk about, you know, the spreading of the wealth, if you will, or the parity around college football and the fact that Duke is going to have a, a five-star recruited quarterback next year, Malik Murphy. The fact that Boston College is saying goes there, like follow Bill O'Brien. They'd have now a five-star recruit at Boston College of all places. Like it is kind of cool to see some of that talent get spread around. And I wouldn't be overly worried because we know – Ohio State obviously um, is 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 pretty well set at the quarterback position with Aaron Nolan coming in this year, and, and he'll be kind of that guy of the future moving forward. So it just kind of – I want to say he gets the job you hand it to him, but it, it that, that conversation about, you know, after this year when Will Howard's supposed to be the starter, who wins that competition, it kind of just answers itself where it would be it would be Nolan. But so, yeah, we'll see how, how that kind of unfolds. There were some other players that mentioned playing with Bill O'Brien is 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 a positive and that they were looking forward to that. But a lot of those guys, you know, like Quinshawn Judkins and others, they had already transferred to Ohio State before Bill O'Brien was even here. So I'm not as worried about them. Um, but if it, from yeah, from a standpoint of could they lose somebody, I think Sane would be the one. Um, and it's 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 interesting because I'm sure that'll get a lot of. I, I talk about Ohio State fans reacting to the Bill O'Brien news. I'm sure if Sane were to follow Bill O'Brien, that would get a lot of. Ryan Day hate talk as well. Oh, this guy lost another five-star recruit. There he goes. But it's like, guys, you got to think about the context of it all, you know? So in the wake of all the Bill O'Brien noise and will he go to Boston College, will he not, um, Ryan Day is scheduled to speak to the media on Wednesday. No idea what he could speak about. Here's what I would like to hear. I want to hear an honest answer. If Bill has not been named the head coach 
of Boston College by then, where he stands on what losing him would be. And the other thing that I really want to know is, are you basically, are you just going to go look at the guys you've already looked at, which are some names we can get to, or do you reopen a new search as kind of, it's been about a month since you kind of started that initial search. And I think that I do think that's really crucial. Like the, the way that you handle this uh, is something. And, And listen, I don't, I don't necessarily have a preference of just call through the guys you were already looking at or, because I think there were some guys they really, really liked. And I think there was just some, the experience just gave Bill the edge. But like, I think you add, you know, whether it's, all right, we're just going to pick from guys we already talked to. We're going to restart a new search. And then I think the third thing is obvious. Does this mean the play calling duties are back on you? And I, I think you, you look at those three things. If Bill leaves and you hire somebody, if you already know the candidates, how likely are you to retain play calling? I think those are three huge yeah. things you have to hear from Ryan on Wednesday. I, I think maybe the biggest indicator that Bill O'Brien's leaving was the fact that this press conference was announced because it seemed I don't like I tried to kind of get do some digging into whether or not this is normal for Ryan Day to speak randomly, you know, Super Bowl week in February of all things. Um, and uh, you know, our, our colleague Brendan Gulick, who covers the Buckeyes, he kind of mentioned he thinks it was somewhat normal because they haven't heard from Ryan Day in a while. Um, and that could be true. Um, but I, I, I kind of, you know, reading the tea leaves, you see the press release come out and you're like, all right, with all the buzz about Bill O'Brien, this kind of feels like a, let's get everybody together and just kind of hunker down and answer some questions about the situation and, and where our head's at with it and what he's thinking. So it kind of feels like that's almost the, uh, the obvious indicator. I know there was reports that as of Monday, Bill O'Brien was still in the building, working with the team and he was still on staff as the offensive coordinator. So I don't know that that's changed yet. And maybe that, maybe you'll get the very Kevin Stefanski in uh, Cleveland Browns answer of, ah, we can't say anything at this time. You know, we don't know anything, you know, just, just keep your mouth shut, but um, we'll see. Yeah. I, but I, I think what you hit on in terms of the big key items for, for day to address uh, from the offensive play calling standpoint and who we might pursue is going to be the, the, the main topic of conversation assuming that bill leaves and obviously i think there's some some interesting levels to that because on one hand bill o'brien like like you think back to the last last episode nick we talked about how and ryan days the the the, um interview he did with a, a station up here in cleveland he mentioned that he wasn't going to give the play calling up just for anybody and bill o'brien seemed like sort of the exception to that rule rather than just, you know, some Joe Schmo first-time play caller at Ohio State, which is why, like, the name Jason Candle's been floated out a ton. He was somebody that they apparently looked at potentially for the job. And I love Jason Candle. I I think Jason Candle would generally be a good hire. But I also wonder, in a year where Ryan Day knows pressure's on, his, his ass is on the line if they don't beat Michigan this year. His ass is on the line if they don't compete for a national championship this year. Um I wonder if bringing in Jason Candle into this level of a of a of a job and giving him play calling duties, I kind of wonder if that's the smartest move for Ryan Day, knowing that his job status kind of hinges on a guy who's never done it at that like on a program of this magnitude. So that's an interesting one. Um, and, and so part of me almost thinks like, especially being this late in the game, and listen, it's Ohio State; they can get almost anybody they want does Ryan day just almost take it back and retain it and work closely with Brian Hartline again to kind of do the offense. 
we'll see. But I, I think that obviously is, is question number one to be answered. Yes. I think when it comes to the candidates, you mentioned Jason Candle. And I would have no problem. Like, I, if Ryan Day came out and said, I think this guy's a future Power 5 head coach. I think what he's done at Toledo is fantastic. And I'm going to make a hire that helps us for the next three years. I, I like that to me shows big balls from Ryan day. It also is not the thing they've spent the entire off season doing. Nobody expects uh, Bill O'Brien. If he stays to be here three years from now, they just don't You expect him to be here one to two years, you know, use this job as a springboard to a good head coaching job. And so it would not surprise me if that was the candidate tree that they went down. And that includes chip Kelly at UCLA, which it would be pretty uh, pretty bonkers to see a Big Ten coach leave as a head coach to be the OC somewhere. But if he really thinks, like in one of my theories on him interviewing for all this all these OC jobs the NFL is, the guy knows his ass is grass probably next year. Now, it might be smarter just to take the buyout and you can still be somebody's OC next year, but Chip Kelly. And by the way, Chip Kelly was the reason Ryan Day was in the NFL. Here are some other names that I think fit that mold. Well, Josh McDaniel. Real quick, I was going to say, Chip Kelly is interesting, too, because, first of all, them coming to the Big Ten, like you said, a Big Ten head coach now be now taking a step back to almost be an offensive coordinator. It's also interesting because with how much money Ohio State's been throwing around, you got to pay, I think it's $1.5 million to just take him from UCLA. So mm-hmm. I think that aspect of it's interesting as well. So uh, Josh McDaniels, who uh, yeah. obviously just got deposed – in Vegas, um, similar ideology behind um, Bill, except Josh has not called plays in college ever. Um, I'll be honest with you; I think Josh is a better play caller than Bill would be. So I agree. Yeah, I, I like. I, I just think the bigger question is: Does he want to do the recruiting? But again, that's another short-term job. I think two other former college coaches to think about. One is Dino Babers, who got murked by Syracuse. Yeah. Um, spread concepts, you know, grew up in that Baylor offense under Art Bryles. And then the other one would be Dan Mullen. And I forgot uh, this, but but uh Ryan Day was actually, I think, a grad assistant. At Florida. Yeah. At Florida when when Mullen was there with Urban. So I mean if you hire Dan Mullen tomorrow and Dan allegedly does not want to do the work that a head coach has to do now. Maybe OC play caller is kind of that in between where he stays in college football. And but doesn't have to do the extent of the work that college yeah. head coaches have to do. So those would be some other like one lane. You'll be here for a year and maybe you get another job kind of guys. I think Dan Mullen is the one to me that if I think if I try to think the way just this off season has gone for Ohio State and the way that Ryan Day was clearly thinking and and bringing in Bill O'Brien, which was listen, we know that this guy's probably not going to be here that long, but we're looking for like a quick hit. Let's get this offense rolling. We got some really good talent here. We got to go. Basically what I said earlier, jobs on the line, asses on the line. I got to go win. Bill O'Brien's the guy, and I'm willing to hand off play calling to him. If I'm thinking, and again, using that line of Brian Day saying he wouldn't have done it for anybody. If I'm thinking of other people that sort of rise to the level of this is the guy that Ryan Day would be willing to give a play calling to, I think Dan Mullen fits that billing. They have the relationship kind of built in, like you mentioned. Um, I think the fact that he's he's done it at a, at a at a high level when he was at Florida is is a big deal, and and that should obviously warrant some interest. And yeah, I like I I think the fit makes a ton of sense there 
if they were to turn things over to Dan Mullen. He's got the experience that you're looking for. So I like that one. That's probably the one that stands out the most. I, I'm with you on I like I really, really, really like the Jason Candle idea and if they went that route. But like I said, I I'm hesitant to think that he'd be willing to give up play calling to somebody with who's gonna basically have the fate of his job in his hands, who's never done it at a program of this this caliber and this size. So uh, that's the one hesitation I have because I think Jason I mean I think Jason Candle's a star in the making in terms of a coach. it's just about finding the right time to do that. Like if that's gonna be the case. If you're going to give it to Jason Candle, the difference between Jason Candle and Brian Hartline is what? Like, I, I get that one's a head coach at a Mac school and one's not, but I, we've already said Brian Hartline could have gone to a Mac school by now and, and started his career that way too. So I think that's what's also interesting is you don't want to ruffle feathers there. Um, the other one I would throw out just as kind of a off-the-cuff one is uh, Joe Moorhead at Akron. Yeah. Guy who's proven he can do it at a high level um he's been at mississippi state he was at oregon prior to going and taking the akron job so he's a really good play caller he's proven some things with some of the bigger programs out there and he's not too far sort of right in your own backyard down the road now i i know some people some locals that probably listen to this show uh are akron fans and wouldn't necessarily want to see joe moorhead go because i know it's a feel-good story him coming back akron does not have that many fans well ken carmen so i was thinking about i was thinking about ken carmen as i said it and the next time i see ken carmen on the sidelines in an akron game will be the first time (laughs) i digress and honestly the the next time he sees me on the sidelines in akron game it'll also be the first time he would be at the sideline at a basketball game because he'll be at the mac tournament i'm sure but not Yeah. yeah not football you're right um, Joe Philbin is another guy that was an offensive analyst. He was linked to the Iowa job. I don't know how serious that is, but he was an analyst on the staff last year, former NFL head coach. There is, you know, also a former O-line coach in the NFL, so we could help Justin Fry. Brian and Johnson then, was another name I saw. I tell up? you, I love that name. I honestly thought he should have gotten more run. I thought you want to talk about scapegoating. I thought he got treated poorly in Philadelphia. Well, the uh, offense regressed. That's why. Well, That's well the but the, why did the offense regress? If you lost, and the, the defense regressed too. The yeah. offense and defense, like teams think of things in a one year vacuum. And yeah. I just, I hate when guys get pigeonholed as the reason something happened. Like, you, not everybody you hire is ready day one to be as good as the last guy. And sometimes you have to be patient. And Brian's got the Florida ties with Dan Mullen. Brian played yeah, in college. His offense college. was top ten almost yeah. every year he was there. Like I, 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 I think I think if Brian Johnson, like if you were to find an opportunity that made sense for him, I think getting him back in the college ranks and him almost trying to like because he because coming out of the college level, he was almost in the ilk of like Jason Candle. Like people thought he was like a, the next big thing. Play, great play caller going to the NFL to get this opportunity. So if he almost wants to like restore that credibility in himself after this, again, he's cause he's getting put in a box like this, this might be the chance to do that. Come to Ohio state, be off, be the offensive coordinator, call the plays and show that you can still do this thing. And you almost cleanse yourself of anything that happened in Philly. So if Bill leaves uh, of the experienced guys, Josh would be my Josh McDaniels would be my number one candidate to be OC and play caller. If you're going a long-term route, Give me Brian Johnson one and then Jason Candle two. And I, I think any of those, listen, yeah. 90% of the names we mentioned, I think are going to be just fine here. I don't think you need a killer like a Bill O'Brien or a Josh McDaniels. It never hurts. 
But like those would be the three guys. All right, two guys from one path, one guy from another. Where do you yeah. kind of stand on on which uh, in which lane I, are your favorite guys? I probably put Dan Mullen one. Uh, I'm I'd probably be with you um, where I'd have Brian Johnson probably as like my my number two, and then Jason Candle is my number three. Josh McDaniels would probably I mean like if they got Josh McDaniels, I'd be fine with that. I'm just not really realistically thinking he's gonna come to the college ranks. Maybe he I don't know. Maybe he would. He's like really looking for a job itching. He'd get back to Ohio where obviously he's from. Um, so yeah, I, I maybe, maybe there's something to that. Um, but I, I think that would be my top three. It'd probably be Mullen, Brian Johnson, and, and then um, Jason Candle with maybe the caveat of, I think Joe Moorhead would be a good one too. Maybe it's like three, three B, two B, three B, whatever. So, yeah. And then maybe Joe Philbin, and then maybe Josh McDaniels. You're you're just your list is growing. I don't hate it. I don't hate it. I'm just no, have to call I didn't you out. Put Josh, I didn't put Josh McDaniels on it. I said I, he he if he if they got him, I'd be fine with it. But I think I like the three main ones I named, and yeah. probably Joe Moore. And then a, a fourth and a fifth, and maybe a sixth there. I'm just busting. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, guys. Who who should Ken, be Ken Dorsey? They, they may be uh, Alex Van Pelt. Oh, actually, real quick. I wouldn't put it past maybe placing a call if Julian Sain is out there. You don't want to lose him. Maybe make a call to Tommy, Tommy Reese. Mm. I mean, that's uh, that's my that's Ohio State on Cleveland crime. But I, you know, he's young. He's been the the OC at Notre Dame and at uh, Alabama. He, I mean, he is. He's got the Brian Kelly stamp of approval, which is really hard to get as a young play caller. I. I don't know you need him, but if you want to think of something again as a guy who can be here one to three years and then take over his own program, that's the kind of yeah. guy. I'd be curious to hear Reese's um like reasoning because because again, like on the heels of of Jeff Halfley talking about, yeah, this just isn't for me anymore. And you know, I was ready to try some go to the NFL and leave sort of the the landscape of college football behind. I'd be interested to hear like some of Reese's motivations because I would think so. I mean, he did a lot with one of the lesser talented Alabama offenses in recent history to get them to the playoff, win the SEC championship game. Like he is considered one of the better offensive minds in college football. And so for him to sort of leave this trajectory behind where he was hitting on some of the bigger program OC jobs. And again, coming from Brian Kelly and all this, I was kind of surprised by that that he maybe didn't get more run or calls to, to be an OC somewhere else. So it's not a bad thought by you that now that Ohio state's in the situation they're in, that maybe they place a call and say, Hey, do you want to come back to the college ranks? Do you, do you want to still call plays and, and do all that, but do it here at a program that's again, very prestigious and one of the higher or better programs in the country. It, it'd be an interesting one. I, I, I like where he heads out with that. All right, guys, who should be the heir apparent to the OC job if Bill O'Brien pieces out for Boston College here? we got one segment to go, but first, a quick word from our sponsors. Third segment of today's show, guys, which we always start with Michigan Panic Meter. My panic meter has not changed at all. I will not be changing it even if Bill O'Brien leaves. I could change it if, of course, uh, the new hire blows at OC. If Bill <laughs> O'Brien, that's the only thing. But right now, I'm in uh, total gray, which means I am completely calm, no panic. 
everything's groovy. How about you, Spencer? What's Jordan? uh? What? Give me an example of the the new hire blowing. Like what? Of all the names we listed off, what's the one where you're like, oh nope, I'm going, I'm dipping into the light gray instead of the maybe darker. Joe Philbin, maybe Joe <laughs> Philbin. Frank, um, Frank Reich, maybe you know. Oh um, man, Frank who's Reich a coach guy? that I really think is a slap dick? Um, Mine would be if they. I I I joke. Cliff Kingsbury. Mentioned- <laughs> All right, he got hired by Washington, but I think Cliff Kingsbury is nothing better than just a good-looking dude who keeps lucking into good jobs. They hired Cliff Kingsbury. I would be at least in the white. I would move two notches in the panic. I joked about uh, about Ken Dorsey. I think that would be mine. That would be mine if they if the if the Buckeyes hired. Like I, I'm basically in the uh, the scarlet with the Ken Dorsey hire with the Browns. So there you go. If you if, you, if you're interested in that take, um, I'm going to join you in the the dark gray. I said uh, I would based off of Jim Harbaugh leaving and just recent events. By the way, we're back to the normal Michigan panic meter. So this is Ohio State's level of panic. Yes. I want to make sure everybody understands this isn't. I know for fun last week we did. Michigan's level panic because fans seem to be losing their minds over Jim Harbaugh leaving and taking his coaches with him, which is pretty normal for anybody. Calling um, him a traitor. That's yeah, really good. After, yeah. Three weeks after winning a national title. Yeah. Not that I noticed. He's a traitor, but it's also War Manuel's fault. And it's, it's yeah. it just getting mad at everybody and all very butthurt after, hey, it's it's been what? Less than a month since you won the national championship and this is how you feel already. So things are going well in Ann Arbor. That's all yeah. I know. Now things are going well with the Big Ten and the SEC as they announced in the last week here that they have uh, formed a joint advisory committee. And just the, the release saying that they are forming a joint advisory committee, which to be fair, has nothing to do with legal weed in Ohio. Just so we're clear on that. <laughs> this is a, The joint is the uh, the joining of the SEC and the Big Ten. And it's being hailed as this you know, pinnacle moment as this, uh, I believe it was Paul Feinbaum, SEC Network, said this could be an inflection point for college football and college athletics. And while there are very valid reasons that this thing, and you're going to speak to that in a moment, why this thing is coming to fruition, um, it is very early to take a victory lap. And I remember when the uh, Big Ten and the Pac-12 had their little they had their, their deal together, the alliance, and what it ended <laughs> up in was the death of the Pac-12. I don't think that's going to happen here. But the point was, when that came out, everyone's that like, "That was so funny." Though it's the alliance, <laughs> the alliance. They're gonna they're they're here to overpower the SEC. And what happened was the Big Ten uh, just absorbed the Pac-12. <laughs> while the while the Pac-12 was sleeping. Uh, the Big Ten came in and knocked up their wives. Okay, yeah. <laughs> so, let's let's be very That's careful about, about having that conversation about how special this is. They broke bread together. They and broke had bread dinner, together, and the and Big then Ten, the Big Ten the, broke the, the Pac-12 bread together. Gave them a key to their house. It's like, oh, yeah. you can stay anytime. Come on yeah. over. We'll watch football together, and then. Uh, they overstayed their welcome and stuck in the middle of the night. Yeah, and, and, and the, the laid Pac- with their wives. Yes, the Pac-12 was watching football downstairs and like, where did my wife and the Big Ten go? Where did they go? Uh, well, There's I'll just wait of, for uh, them to come down. Like twenty minutes later, hey. uh, both are sweaty. Oh, sorry, we had to hang up a picture upstairs. Oh yeah, somebody was something was getting nailed. It wasn't the picture Sounds into the wall. Like a great lane for some adult movies out there. Yeah, I. Might There's been plenty that have started that way. You know what? College football erotic memoirs. Who says no? Hey, they got to they got to find more ways to make money, right? That that so, may be the new lane. So you kind of have been reading up a little bit on 
one of the reasons this could be yeah. coming together and involves a college football playoff. Well, I, real quick, I want to go to the statement that they put out too because just the and and, and listen, it's it's fair because like we like to have the debates about oh, what's what's the big the best conference in college football, and it's largely considered the SEC. And then there's like all oh, this whole like ESPN's SEC bias is showing that that was the argument when SC, FSU got left out this year and all this different stuff. So it's funny. Because it's usually the answer is always almost always the Big Ten and the SEC are the two best conferences in college football. And so this has kind of been the longstanding thing of there's been the standoff between the two where, okay, the SEC is adding Texas and Oklahoma. The Big Ten is adding USC and Oregon and Washington. And now they're they're from the East Coast to the West Coast, Spain, the country. So it's kind of been a standoff between the two. And now they're finally kind of embracing each other and saying, Okay, and and the tea leaves have kind of pointed to it for a while. Like this is going to just become two mega conferences, and everybody else is just kind of out there on their own. And that's this what college football is going to become. And this, I think, this merger, this this forming of a committee, a joint advisory committee, sort of speaks to that happening down the line at some point, which is the the sort of the initial reaction here. But I think what also is just funny about the statement and that whole idea is the fact that it, basically like Greg Sankey, uh, the SEC, and Tony Petit, the Big Ten commissioner, they basically just like shit on the other conferences that are, <laughs> that are in college football. Like some of the statements in this, um, they said there was like this whole thing about like, oh, in recent court decisions, pending litigation, blah, blah, blah. It has compelled the two conferences to take a leadership role in developing solutions for a sustainable future to college sports. So they're just kind of like crowning themselves as like the – we are the gods of college football and we, and, and co- not only college football, but college sports, the future of college sports rests in our hands. And then later, like in the, the exact wording of uh, Tony Petiti statements where he's basically like, there's no question that the voices of our two conferences are integral to the governance, uh, to the governance and other reform efforts of college sports. Like they clearly are just like, who gives a rip about these other conferences we are the Kings. We get to make all the decisions. And they're just kind of like how uh, Dan Gilbert said that LeBron crowned himself the self-proclaimed King. They're, they're self-proclaiming themselves the Kings of college sports. No one's going to argue with it. They're, they're, they're basically right. Like those two conferences are King, but it's just funny to hear the conferences basically finally admit like, yeah, we kind of rule the roost here. And, and the rest of you are just kind of there in the background. I thought that was kind of funny. Well, and I think if you look, you know, other conferences have tried in the last like five years have tried power plays. Um, Jim Phillips voting, uh, declining to to uh, vote on the playoffs or, or voting no on specific iterations. Which he had of to the play playoffs. his conference in the end. Which it, is it really did. And <laughs> inevitably, I do think not playing the game a little bit smarter is going to cost him the best teams in his conference. Um, I think it's a matter of time before you see a lot of those teams kind of divvied up. But listen, I I do think the SEC and the Big Ten being in lockstep can only help college athletics immensely. I agree. And to the extent that they use their power always concerns me because I don't trust power especially when it comes in college athletics where power has been abused for so long. We've covered that on previous shows. Um, I, I think the NCAA is a joke. I think, um, I think college leaders to some degree have been feckless on this, but the SEC and Big Ten, this could have a huge impact. Can I also say something, though? There are no other details. They're, they're, like They have no other details on what this is going to look like. 
how they're going to align, what they're going to align on, where they're going to use their power for, whether it's a voting block like previous alignments you've had, like the alliance, things like that. So there's a part of me that wonders if this is a scare tactic by the SEC and the Big Ten to say, get in losers, we're doing butt stuff. Like either join the bandwagon (laughs) or get the fuck out of our way. There's a significant part of me that thinks that this is a, hey, if you want to be cool, if you want to exist in 15 years, this is your moment. Get on board. Yeah. Yeah. So like there's a big part of me that thinks that this is what this is. I hate though. And this is where like I, I, Paul Feinbaum's the goat. Like he is fantastic. Um, You know, I hate big sweeping emotional statements that are not oh, levied we talk, we in talked like, about it last reality. Yeah. Yeah. And so to call this like, and say this could be an inflection point. Yes, it could. It could be another kind of meaningless thing because they really haven't set the parameters of what this is going to look like. So it's an idea that could become something. It could also like most things in college football leadership become nothing. Also, and this could ma- very well be just a front. How many inflection points are we allowed? In, in like because the we have NI, one every month nio was an inflection point yeah. now uh the transfer portal was an inflection point now uh the the sec plucking oklahoma and texas was an inflection point the big 10 absorbing the pac-12 was an inflection point now this is an inflection point like okay i think at some point we just have to admit that the inflection point happened a while ago and this is now just the next phase of the change the thing you mentioned earlier though with the in relation to some of the big things that they're really highlighting here with this sort of joint committee i saw that they did a they did an interview with yahoo sports sankey and, and Petiti did and a lot of it centered around the future of the college football playoff which i kind of forgot that the they signed basically for the le- for the length of the current contract that they have with espn for the college football playoff they signed for the the 12 team playoff to exist for the next two years so this upcoming year and then the year following and that's when the tv contract with espn also ends And so they don't have anything beyond that. And leading up to this year's playoff, they voted on, they were supposed to vote on extending that and and figuring out like what the playoff looked like beyond 2026. And it sounds like, I don't know which conference it was, but one of the conferences basically voted, let's table this for another discussion. And I think this is probably what spurred some of this, the Big Ten and the SEC taking a lead on listen, we're going to start doing this thing and figuring out how this governance looks and what this thing looks like moving forward because we got to start getting on board and not just are having different conferences that think different things or have different needs for their for their own group of people. Like we all just got to kind of get on the same page. And so the college playoff, I think, is maybe what spurred a lot of this because they want – and to be clear, like Petiti and Sankey both said, we are both on, on, on board with moving the college playoff forward and advancing it to sort of into the format that we're embracing here moving forward as well. But we need everybody else to kind of be on board with that as well. So um, I think that's interesting because as much as we were saying here, like, oh, 12-team playoff, what's that going to look like? This is the future of college football. We don't actually know beyond 2026 what it's going to look like. I think for what it's worth, there are discussions being had with ESPN to extend the TV deal, and then that could obviously mean that this conversation comes to a head and it all gets resolved and all that anyway. But I, I think the the college football playoff seems to be one of the biggest fuelers behind why the SEC and the Big Ten are sort of teaming up and saying, we're going to take the lead on trying to move our sport or this sport of college football, but also all sports forward and making sure that we're making 
decisions that are financially smart and benefit everybody. And so we're not like all over the place with the decision-making process. Like it seems like they, they tend to be at times, like you mentioned, the ACC saying, "Ah, we're not We don't want to explain the playoff. Like they want everybody to be on the same page with this stuff. Do you think the panic tone that continues to exist in college football is good for college football from fans or from, I mean, no, I mean, just your interpretation. Do you think this whole thing, the the way they've reacted to NIL and, and the portal and every, you know, every month is a new inflection point. Do you think that this is good for college football? I, I don't know that like, I honestly think the panic oftentimes ends up being just sort of the initial reaction to things. Um, like there's all this pain. I mean, and I think this is just over the course of history of sports, right? Like when there's massive changes, like I, I, I don't know what it was like when they added the three point line to basketball, but did people get up in arms about that? Like, Oh, you're changing the game. You know, like, I just think whenever there's massive change in sport, people are going to not love it and they're going to freak out about it. And they're going to try to think about, Oh my God, what does this mean for the life of our sport? And Long term, what what is what are all these different things saying about where the sport is going and who has the power and all this different stuff? But I think at the end of the day, like I, I think what's what's changing in college football is good for the sport overall because a it's giving a lot of the power back to the players where they now have this have some say and they're getting a cut of the, the of some of the money that they should be seeing and they're at least allowed to make money now. Um, I also think the transfer portal gives guys an opportunity to find a situation sometimes that's better for them. Now I. The transfer portal can be a blessing and a curse, which is another thing we've hit on before because sometimes guys get bad advice and they go into the portal and then they realize I shouldn't have done this and they want to go back to the place that they were and there's not always an opportunity there. So there is – this is where I say, like, I do think there needs to be some governor, 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 governance, excuse me, in terms of how things are sort of um, just like um, – how things are controlled – whether it's the portal, whether it's how much NIL money can be sort of doled out, different things like that. But I also don't want to cap how much a player can make and cap a player. Like, I thought it was always stupid that a kid couldn't transfer without having to sit out a year. Like, that type of stuff is dumb. So it's it's about finding that balance. I don't have all the answers. I don't think Greg Sankey and Tony Petiti have have all the answers. Like, I think that's the whole point of this, this committee is coming together to sort of answer those questions to figure those things out. But – I think ultimately, like the the game is growing, and it's only going to get bigger. I, like I I I don't always get the outrage over um uh, over a lot of these different things, other than the fact that it's it's changing the game and changing the things that people love. I mean, even with the coaches going to the NFL, there's always going to be coaches willing to stay at this level. It's just it's just how it's going to be. So. I think anything that keeps college football as a national story is a good thing, inevitably, because the reason why the NFL is king is their ability to extend. And and th- listen, there's a, you know, um, there's an Ouroboros effect here of the snake chasing its own tail and eating its own tail. Yeah. The NFL is so popular, which allows it to expend its its schedule to to you know twelve months of importance, which then makes the NFL more popular. So I, I, but I think you got to start. Like I do think the the college football playoff conversation. I think uh, the transfer portal. I think uh, realignment. I think it is a good thing for college football. And part of that is the constant reaction, uh, keeping it in the news cycle of the panic of people, uh, and in high profile, like we talked about with um, 
with Herbie last week. I'll also say, like, there is a part of me that I think there's been a lot of talk and not enough action. And so I see this a lot in politics of there's a lot of rabble rousing. But when it comes down to let's work together, let's fix the the problems that we do have as a country, nobody really wants to do that. Because fixing things does not begat um, any, one, there are no easy solutions. Two, no no one's ever going to be 100% happy. And three, if all the problems go away, then all your wedge issues go away. And all of a sudden, nobody, like, listen, it's it's tough to get elected, reelected, newly elected, if everybody's pretty happy. So I say that to say, when it comes to college football, if the Big Ten, SEC, if this joint advisory committee is about finally doing something, amen, hallelujah. I might not like it, but at least I'll respect you doing something. But there's been so much rabble, rabble, rabble that it feels like people are doing that because they don't have the balls, the power, or the creativity to fix what's wrong. Yeah. It, and it just, that is and that that I do think inevitably yeah. is a lack of leadership. And I think that part of it is bad for college football. Yeah. And I, college and, athletics. To to your point, I just think it's it, that's the easy thing to say when there's all this movement and change happening is just well i don't like it and this is ruining the sport without actually giving it a chance or without actually giving any constructive input into okay i get that things are changing how can i that's why i I appreciate like jim harbaugh saying what he said at the cultural playoff where it was like yeah listen like i think that this is how you should do things i think players should get a cut i appreciate when chip kelly comes out and says Here's how it should be set up. Two mega conferences, the South or four conferences, the South plays the North, the North plays the South. Then the, the, the uh, Northwest plays the North South, like South or the South, the Southwest. Jesus. Um, but anyway, and then, like, the, and then the South North <laughs> plays the, the Middle East. Sounds like I'm talking about a civil East war Palestine or something over plays, here. I mean, Jesus plays um, Miami. <laughs> um, but no, I like I, I appreciate the, those inputs from coaches because it at least tells me that these guys are trying to embrace the change. I'm gonna be honest, like of all the things that are changing, I think the thing that has the biggest that that could be the biggest detriment to to the sport is if you really disrupt some of like the natural rivalries and things in the sport. Because I think the one thing that you can't completely disregard in that sport specifically is the tradition. I understand why like the NFL is king and it's it's very commercialized in a lot of ways but it's still it, it's it, it, they do that to sort of bring in outside fans and all this and college football wants that too. But the thing with college football is there's a reason that they have the biggest stadiums in in in, in football because they're based they're they're the bases that some of these programs are bigger than any NFL team because there's truly like people who have gone to those schools graduated and they're like this is my place. They feel a connection to that place. And that's even bit greater than me growing up in, you know, the middle of Ohio and being like, eh, I don't really, I could cheer for the Browns, I could cheer for the Bengals, whatever. But you feel very connected to Columbus because it's right there. And maybe you went to school there, you have a family member who went to school there, whatever. So I, I think the the tradition getting disrupted could have a bigger blow. Because I also think about it too, like we think about it very much from an Ohio State scope. And yeah, like nothing's going to happen with Ohio State, Michigan. You're never going to get rid of that game, even if it moves to earlier in the schedule, or whatever. But I think 
you think about, you know, like Oregon and Oregon State, right? That's a rivalry that for some area, that's like their Super Bowl every year. You know, like that's the game that they really look for. So you ruin that type of stuff. This is where you start alienating fan bases. This is where you start losing some of that. What makes college football great and fun is that sometimes there's these teams that aren't on that level, but they have this natural rival that's either like in-state or really close to them, you know, like Akron can even on another, a smaller level between in the Mac schools. It's like, that's, they're so close to each other. There's this rivalry there and people get revved up for that game here locally in Northeast Ohio because of that. So I think that stuff matters more almost than the money and the, the changing tides of the transfer portal and guys not wanting to embrace that. And, you know, not recruiting, recruiting, not just being about the relationships but being about, about how much you can get a guy or pay a guy. I think, I think that matters less than, and all these changes that people are up in arms about matter less than some of the other things that I mentioned, which that's being impacted by this, this recent surge too. But um, I think if you can do your best to, to keep some of those things, there's a reason why Oklahoma and Texas are kind of migrating together to the SEC. I think that stuff is is still going to largely be what what drives the 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 fuel and the passion behind college football. All right, guys, do you think all this noise is good for college football? And uh, you guys can leave the comments on the 92 View the Fan YouTube channel. We do check them. We do interact with you guys. Or at Nick Wilson says at Spencito underscore on social media, including Instagram and of course X. But uh, don't forget, new show, follow the show everywhere you get your podcast, Apple, Spotify, the free Odyssey app. Have I mentioned it's free? <laughs> also, 923thefan.com, anywhere you get your podcast. We appreciate you. Spencer, good show. To you out there, we say thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Hashtag go Bucks.